0: the plays the thing the quiet men of england number 7 ludovic flo in which all the worlds are stayed Pity poor Ludo Flo, a life less ordinary lived in the shadows of greatness, now passive and assisted in his living. Whither the days of yesteryear, the days of Rafe, Larry, dear, dear Johnny, and wind-swept Norman, whither the coach and horses, whither the whisper of the stage door, the roar of the grease paint, the smell of the crowd, taking some sweet ingenue, who barely knew his ass from Lebanon, but who had it, that something, that sweet, special, mm, the joie de vivre, the esprit de corps, the certain je ne sais quoi, and thrusting him, thrusting him towards the footlights, the boards, the applause. The rooms off Drury Lane, once redolent with clay-bills, with awnings, caftans, kaffir, the gaudy gugors, the invitations on the mantle propped up behind the statuettes and trophies. That one there, from dear Georgie, who'd given it to him in remembrance of the first tentative steps he'd taken. Now he flew transcendent nightly and twice on Saturdays. All sold off to pay his way through the indignities of infirmity, indiscretion and incontinence. Now, becalmed, befuddled, and bedewed, he had taken rooms at Baida Wee, a home for retired thespians and them that help him out. His rooms, like Flo himself, were well apportioned, well lit, and faintly redolent of urine. Baida Wee had been several things in its time. Manorial redoubt, Minor public school, sanatorium, and latterly was, as the brochures would have it, somewhere to stay. Stay, Ludovic Flo did, and he did it very well. He breakfasted like a prince, dined like a king, and snacked like a child. He rested eight hours a night and some fourteen during the day, between meals, obviously. His main source of delight. Other than that offered by the regular trips to the buffet, was visiting hour, the golden hour, the eager, nay giddy, anticipatory thrill that coursed from neuron to dendrite to axon, in almost every single way very much akin to waiting backstage, listening to the orchestra tune up on opening night. So exciting was this moment, this brief chance at company that wasn't other bloody actors, that it was endemic to the whole cohort of inmates. Every Thursday, without fail, there was a frantic exchange of eyeliner, no end of old dresses and pantaloons being held up to still older frames, in front of mirrors that never ceased to gnaw away at the edges of their appearances. Mirrors now that held the glass a tad more forgiving, a little more opaque than quotidian scrutiny allowed. There was cantering up corridors, down hallway, giggling in furtive whispered requests for a tissue, a hand into these spanks, a cheeky livener. Over the years, the residents had pressed their excited, childlike moon faces to the glass of their windows so regularly that passers-by often believed the place haunted by a horde of orange dental models. This Thursday, in particular, however, was different, and it had our protagonist in a blue funk. In the activities room earlier that week, Mrs. Fitzherbert, occasional duty manager and constant killjoy, had stood in front of the communal wireless, clapped her chunky ring-laden hands together three times, splayed palms outward in a welcoming, inclusive gesture, and smiled wanly and as superficially as a TV host smiles at a prize board. She cleared her throat. After apologising to Miss Weeble, who wheeled inches closer to hear whatever Mrs. Fobert had to say, she began, "'This week we have a special treat for all our little family here gathered to enjoy. A special treat. "'It's all a bit hush-hush and on the QT at the present, but I can assure you it will be tremendous.' "'She tried adding a conspiratorial wink as she said, "'Tremendous.' but it came out wrong, and so she had to briefly stop proceedings to ask Mr. Hassett to zip up his trousers. "'I'm sure you'll all find it absolutely peachy,' she added, trying another wink, before calling on a brace of orderlies to escort Mr. Hassett to the shower-room. "'We will not be having visiting hour, as usual, on Thursday afternoon, but,' she added quickly, to stifle a communal groan that escaped from the assembled throng, but there will be visitors and a special guest, a VIP. The ellipsis hung pregnant in the air and it was not allowed to come to term. Ludovic Flo had a regular series of visitors. Dear dear Johnny, Rafe, Larry, Jackie Papers, and Ingrates all. The twilight of his life had, instead, cast others into its limpid gleam. Miss Nightingale, Miss Thackeray, Miss Gibbons, all inked their names regularly in Bidawee's guest book over the course of the month. Miss Nightingale was the most frequent, though it was to be largely suspected from the extensive trips to the powder room via a circuitous path, ears cocked and beady of eye, that she was simply waiting for an elderly relative with a will that was about to be bumped off. Miss Thackeray was the ringleader of a small clique of women who billed and cooed semi-professionally around the home and plied their trade between lounge and rooms with a hearty candy-striped vigour. Miss Gibbons was, and still is, a star-fucker. ever-rotating cast of storied fame was too much of a temptation to the Miss Gibbonses of the world, and she came with barely-disguised gusto as often as age and a recalcitrant hip would allow. Ludo himself was relatively chaste these days, The bright young things were fewer in number than once they had been, and most took the most offended umbrage at being cloistered with a large man, dismissive of undergarments and dressing-gown belts. He had seduced that delivery man, and his confession at St. Matthias had contained a tad more braggadocio than custom dictated. That bothered him less than the incipient gout and perennially dicky ticker. His gloomy acceptance of his twilight lot was exacerbated today as he had, through the personals in variety, arranged an assignation with the great Rudolfo, contortionist to the stars. Ludo had his hands in several young pieces of talent in his prime, all of whom had been greased to accelerate their journey to stardom through talent shows. His books bent beneath the weight of jongleurs, mime artists, comedians, vent acts, and the odd bendy queen. Rodolfo had reminded him of Antoine Twist, the French bender. He loved Antoine, though once he'd started it had always been difficult to know where Antoine ended and the onions began. Rodolfo's small ad had hinted at pleasures untold, nothing more than the merest hint hint of the potential congruences his taut-lied frame could offer, but enough to create quite the daydream and spark a reply. Accepted, it had taken a furtive telephone call and some whispered directions. As he had not booked his appointment at Biden, and the authorities were taking a dim view of assignations, he had not been informed of the cancellation of visiting hours, and had now been decanted from a taxi and stood pertly on the lawns. Ludovic Flo emerged through the French windows in a flurry of caftan, pajama and oriental slipper, trailing scarves and obscenities behind him swept up the great Rudolfo in a giant arm and with one movement slickly glided towards the summer house there Hard-pressed by the sunshine and the pungency of the geraniums, he had sought to cast caution to the wind. Amidst the frenzied fluster of kisses, the furling and unfurling of adornment, apparel and limb, a distant gong sounded that didn't come from within. Bugger, said Ludovic, unironically, and made to rise. Stay there, don't move, he commanded Rodolfo. The little contortionist looked up from between his ankles and beamed his silent assent. Flo took off, hooking his breeches up under his caftan as he scuttled through the orchard, pausing only to snaffle a giant peach from a tree as he passed, and scoffing it on root, amber juices coating his ample chin. He assuaged his appetite only briefly. Belching quietly, he gained the day-room where his fellow residents were already gathered safely, From what he could gather as he swayed listlessly at the back of the room, today's lecture was largely horticultural in bed. Ludovic Flo blasphemed under his breath, and though he prided himself on his urbanity, the world of tilth and hoe were to him of little interest. The speaker, a figure mostly tweed in origin, looked familiar. Rattling through the capacious chambers in his mind, "'and only being mildly distracted by the odd troop of Chinese acrobats for a moment, "'he seized upon a name when it loomed large in a remote context. "'Broughton Pogs!' he ejaculated. "'The tweed mass paused his oratory, and, looking up from his notes, "'hmm, from the lectern. "'Yes?' "'Oh, Pugs, Capital to see you, dear boy. "'Must take in a show one of these days.' muttered Flo tailing off dramatically as he found the fact he was wearing but one slipper suddenly of immense interest indeed replied the speaker and after clearing his throat continued to speak of fruit specifically fruit trees he continued to expand upon his theme tricky blighters never had any luck them all from a land only good for firewood not even good for that more money in swine. Land is worth its weight in gold if you keep swine. The only place I've left any growing is here, at right the back. me <laughs> down if the dwarf duke of York's has only gone and grown one. Absolutely extraordinary. Treat for the senses. ruddy, marvellous, etc. Invited HRH himself. Well, not HRH anymore. <laughs> Terrible stuff. Coming to have a look. A cold sweat broke out across Ludovic Flo's entire body. Pools of perspiration gathered in dewlaps and crevices. He felt faint. He had not felt this dreadful since opening night at the Lyceum, when dear, dear Charlie had corpsed on stage, and Yorick's skull in his fall had hit the second violin full on the conch. Think, Ludo, he said to himself. Think! Storm clouds gathered inside his head. And outside, too. Rain began steadily to fall. Looking out the French windows, a limousine could be seen entering the main gate. Ludo gathered up his skirts and plunged into the gathering storm. The wind had picked up, a rain lashed his face. What to do? He breasted the low wall, encircling the orchard, ran through the trees and gained the summer house. Rodolfo looked up expectantly from between his ankles and smiled eagerly. No time! shouted and gathered up the little chap from where he was. Then, displaying a hitherto unknown facility for rope work, he lassoed Rodolfo's wrists with his pyjama cord and sprinted through the pelting rain back to the orchard, and, looping the other end of the cord over a branch, suspended the little contortionist from it. Rodolfo started in wonder and no little ennui. Here he was, bum up and dangling like a fruit from a tree, and getting wetter, colder and redder by the second. Ludovic Flo smacked the contortionist's bare buttocks smartly twice, apologised once, and ran back to the house. He joined the end of the welcoming line and, as custom dictated, curtsied gauchely when presented. The rain had soaked him through, and he cut a sorrowful figure. He grabbed Broughton Pogs' sleeve. "'Absolutely tipping down. We'll catch our deaths, and you don't want another royal death on your hands, surely?' have a gaze on beauty from afar and all that, probably for the best like the somme underfoot foot by now or what with the pings <laughs> his sigh was audible when Poggs readily assented peering through the French windows, Poggs wiped away the tears of condensation and the Duke of York then joined the throng in gazing astonished at the peach orchard, the trees in full leaf and suspended from the largest, their swayed. To all intents and purposes, a ruddy peach glistening with rain and swaying gently in the howling gale. of England is a very broad and very shallow production, written by Brian Painting, performed by Charlie Moriarty, with original music recorded and played by Peter Vincent Ritten.